Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Well, last week we began a new series called Movement That Matters. Movement That Matters. Uh, Now, I I grew up in the Midwest in a suburb just south of Chicago. And the town I lived in is about as far from Chicago as Elk Grove is from Sacramento. In addition to growing up near the city, I got to live downtown for four years when I was a student at Moody Bible Institute. Uh, And so I recognize, I'm just going to put it out there right off, I recognize that I am biased. I love Chicago, and I think that Chicago has the best skyline of any city in America. I'm going to show you a picture just to prove it. Maybe. They don't, there it is. I mean, nothing beats that. You have the lakefront with the skyline right behind that. I mean, I know not everyone's a city person, uh, but man, I, I think that is gorgeous. Now, there are a number of specific skyscrapers in the city that fascinated me. I've had the opportunity to do the architectural tour, and you kind of ride this boat down the Chicago River, and they talk about various buildings. But one of my favorite buildings, politics aside, is the Trump Tower. And it sits right on the Chicago River, and you can walk on the Chicago Riverwalk and look up at it. It's just a super unique building. They actually built that during our time in college, and so it was fun to see that building go up. Now, my wife, Erin, she also has a favorite building, and it's the John Hancock Center. It's been around for much longer than the Trump Tower. But for a number of years, John, the John Hancock Center, which has 100 floors, was the world's tallest building. It was quickly surpassed by others, not only in Chicago, but around the country and around the world. But um, there is enough steel in the frame alone to build 33,000 cars. Just the frame alone, enough steel in the frame to build 33,000 cars. And there are 1,250 miles of wiring in the John Hancock Center, which is enough to power a city of 30,000 people. And while those stats are fascinating, I think the most impressive feature for the John Hancock Center is something that you actually can't even see. It's the foundation. Because the John Hancock Center stands near the edge of Lake Michigan, the ground is soft there. And so the engineers, the construction workers, had to drill 190 feet into the bedrock of the earth just to ensure that that building would stand. Because without a solid foundation, they knew their work would be in vain. And this principle rings true for our lives as believers. Our ability to grow and mature in our faith depends on whether or not we have a solid foundation on which to stand, on which to build. And that's what we're talking about this morning, building believers. We're talking about the importance of building a solid foundation when it comes to our faith so that we can make progress in the disciple-making process, that we can become more and more like Jesus. But we don't want to just talk about the importance of having a solid foundation when it comes to our faith. We want to talk about how. How do we build a solid foundation? We all know that it's important to have a foundation, one that's solid, but how do we build a solid foundation when it comes to our faith? Before we dive into that, though, allow me to quickly remind you of where we've been so far in this series. Catch you up 
just a bit here. Now, as followers of Jesus, and hopefully you're starting to catch on, we have a calling, and it is to make disciples who are capable of making disciples, who are capable of making disciples, and so on and so forth, right? And our goal is to create a disciple-making movement. However, rarely do we talk about the actual process of disciple-making. And so there's a lot of us Christians who have been following Jesus for years, and, and we don't even know what it means, or we don't know what it looks like to make a disciple, And so throughout this series, we want to examine the life of Jesus and and follow the model and the pattern that he used while on earth to make disciples. In his book, Four Chair Discipling, Dan Spader writes four, or he presents four challenges of Jesus that represent intentionally moving individuals through various stages of development toward Christ-likeness. And each of these challenges or each of these stages of development is represented by a chair, hence the name of his book, and the chairs that you see on stage behind me. And so throughout this series, we're going to unpack each of these commands that Jesus gives and talk about the process from going to a, from an unbeliever to a fully devoted, a fully mature follower of Christ. And our desire is to provide you with a framework, to provide you with a roadmap for the work that we are called to do as Christ followers. And not only that, we want to help you as followers of Jesus identify which chair you're sitting in and how to take intentional steps toward Christ-likeness, to becoming more sure in your faith. And not only that, We want to help you identify which chair those you're trying to reach are sitting in and how you can be intentional about helping them to move further along in their faith and reach a deeper level of maturity. Now, last week we discussed chair number one represented by a stadium chair. And uh, those who are sitting in chair one, uh, it's occupied by those who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, those who are lost. And we talked about the needs of those in chair one and what you and I need to do to meet those needs and ultimately reach them with the gospel message. That's the first step in the disciple-making process. And so now this morning, we're going to turn our attention to Jesus' second command, his second challenge, and the second chair. Now, chair two is occupied by those who are new believers, those who are new to the faith. You see, in order to move from chair one to chair two, you have to put your faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. And once you do that, once you make that pivotal, that key, the most important decision that you'll ever make, you slide from chair one into chair two. And when you slide from chair one into chair two, your faith is new. It's fresh. It's at its infancy stages. And so um, what, what we want to be able to help them do is grow in their faith. And so the New Testament, for those who are in sitting in chair two, so the New Testament describes, there are two words used to describe those who are new to the faith. The first one is infant, and the second word is child. And, And by no means are these meant to be insulting or condescending. Rather, these words simply describe the basic needs or the reality of someone who's new to the faith. Like any infant or child, they are dependent on others. New believers are dependent 
on others. They need to be nurtured. They need to be cared for. They need basic training and they need help when it comes to developing skills in order to grow or to build their faith. And if those who are sitting in chair two receive what they need in time, they will be able to learn how to feed themselves, learn how to walk, learn how to talk, and learn how to care for themselves spiritually. Now, during Jesus' earthly ministry, we see that he gives a, a second command to those who put their faith in him. To those who were new to the faith, to those who were sitting in the second chair, Jesus says, follow me. He says, follow me. We see this in John chapter 1, verse 43, which says, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. This same command is given to Matthew, the tax collector. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, it says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. You see, both Matthew and Philip were new believers, and therefore new to chair two. And understanding their need to be cared for, Understanding their need to be nurtured. Jesus gives them the command to follow me. Essentially, this, was a, this command was an invitation to come under Jesus' wing. In other words, Jesus was going to become the spiritual parent to these spiritual infants. And he knew that if they were obedient to his command to follow me, Jesus would have the opportunity to teach them, to help them grow and develop in their faith and teach them how to feed themselves, to walk, to talk, and to care for themselves spiritually. Just like any parent would help develop in their child these same basic skills. Dan Spader provides further insight on Jesus' command to follow me. He writes, the, words tra the word translated follow is the Greek word akulotheo, and it literally means to come behind, to follow in my steps, to learn of me, to join me in the journey as my disciple. You see, when, when he gave the command to those who were sitting in chair one, he said, come and see. It was an invitation all about being curious for those who are exploring Christianity, exploring faith, who are, who are intrigued by the person of Jesus. He, he just simply invited them to, to come and see. Just show up and, and learn. Get some of your questions answered. Experience Jesus for yourself. Come and see. But in this second chair, he gives this second command of, of follow me. And there's a deeper level of commitment that goes along with this call. You see, this is all about becoming or learning from Jesus and becoming more like him. It's about having our lives molded and shaped by Jesus, our teacher, as we walk and do and love and serve like Jesus did. 
It's in this chair that we begin to see the transformation take place in our lives as a result of the decision that we made to put our faith and trust in Jesus for our salvation. It's in this chair that we begin to have a different perspective on the way we view the world, to look at life through the lens of Scripture. How would Jesus view the world? How would Jesus view everybody else in my life? That begins to happen in chair two. We begin to see our behaviors change, our desires change, all as a result of the faith that we put in Jesus, and that happens. It begins to see that outpouring and see the fruit of that decision when we're sitting in chair two. And so, of course, though, when Jesus, this command that Jesus gives, we know that it's tough to fully see that. We know that we're never going to reach perfection, right? There's never going to be a point in our lives when we'll have arrived, when we fully have made it. There's always going to be more work to be done. And so while this command of follow me begins in the second chair, for us as followers of Christ, it's a command that is relevant for the rest of our lives. Whether we're chair two, three, or four, it doesn't matter what chair we're sitting in, we're always called to follow Jesus. Now as I consider chair two and those who sit there, a desk chair comes to mind. And most of us have sat in the desk at some point during our years of schooling, even if the desk looked a little bit different than this one, right? I got the vintage model. No offense to those of you who sat in this. Um, <laughs> see, when we find ourselves, when we find ourselves sitting at a desk, we're sitting there to learn. We're sitting there to be taught by someone who has more knowledge or more experience. And hopefully, as we go from grade level to grade level, our our knowledge and our understanding continues to grow. And over time, all that we learn and apply to our lives begins to transform who we are. We are molded and shaped by the knowledge we have gained and the experiences that we've had. And in the same way, Those who sit in the second chair who are new to the faith, they're there to learn, to study, to build a solid foundation on which their life and faith can grow. For all those who are sitting in the second chair who accept God's call, Jesus' call to follow me, the goal or the desired outcome is found in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Paul writes, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See, of course, building a solid foundation, or as Paul says, being being rooted and built up, it's a process that takes time. As we study the Gospels and and how Jesus used his time over that three-plus year period of him doing earthly ministry, we can piece together that Jesus spent 18 months, at least 18 months, investing his disciples while they were sitting in this chair. It took Jesus, who was fully God, and yes, fully man. I think we oftentimes diminish that. But Jesus, who's fully God and fully man, it took him a year and a half at least 
to develop his own disciples in this chair. And so it's going to take us at least that long, right? It's probably going to take us at least that long for us to come alongside someone who's new to the faith and help them to develop this solid foundation. Or it's going to take us as long to build that solid foundation in our own lives. But no matter how long it takes, we as followers of Jesus, for those, I guess, who are, who are sitting in chair two, our role, our responsibility to them is to build the believer. Build the believer to, to move them toward a deeper level of growth and maturity. We're called to do all that we can to help them to become rooted and established because that is the desired outcome for those who are sitting in chair two. However, like we said last week, it, it's super important for us to know the desired outcome of, of this particular chair, to be rooted and established in our faith, to have a solid foundation. But the reality is knowing the desired outcome, knowing the goal, it doesn't answer the question, how? Well, how, well, how do I do that? It's one thing to know I'm supposed to build the believer. I'm supposed to have a faith that's rooted and established. But How? How do I do that in my own life if I'm a new follower of Christ? Or how do I come alongside someone and help them to develop that same foundation for their faith? Thankfully, Jesus gives us a pattern or an example to follow when it comes to ministering to those who are sitting in the second chair. And by following his example, we're able to meet the needs of those sitting in chair two and help them to become rooted in their faith, which will set them up well to make progress in the disciple-making process. And so we're going to talk about four needs of those who are sitting in chair two. The first need of those sitting in chair two, those who are new believers, those who are infants in the faith, is they need to know their true identity. They need to know their true identity. You see, when someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus for their salvation, their, their identity, identity is, is radically transformed. It's radically altered. In fact, in Scripture, we find that there are 33 things that happen at the moment of conversion. 33 things that take place in us when we put our faith and trust in Jesus for our salvation. Just to name a few, we're, we're chosen. We're adopted. We're forgiven. We're made alive. Now, just as a quick side note, if, if you're interested in a free devotional that takes you through all 33 things that happen at the moment of salvation, uh, we put together a webpage. If you go to lifepoint.org slash discipling tools, you can download a free copy of that devotional. We also have a few copies of hard copies in the lobby, so feel free to snag one of those as well. See, Dan Spader writes, our identity is essential to being able to know not only who we are, but whose we are. Understanding our identity as Christ followers, especially when we're new believers, is so important because we're able to live our lives as God sees us, not as we see ourselves or how anybody else sees us. And because of our identity in Christ, we can live victoriously, because the battle has already been won, and we are on the winning team. It's part of our identity as a follower of Jesus. The second need of those who are sitting in chair two is to learn to walk on their own. 
1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. You see, new believers who are sitting in chair two, they would claim to live in Christ. They've had a conversion experience. And now they would say, yes, I'm in Christ. Therefore, that is part of their new identity. And so those who are sitting in chair two must also walk as Jesus did. In other words, they, may, they must follow Christ's example when it comes to the way they live their lives. As we study the life of Jesus, we see six foundational principles on what he built his life and ministry. And I'm going to go through those pretty quickly. Six foundational principles by which Jesus lived his life and ministry. First, he was dependent on the Holy Spirit. He was dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Throughout his time on earth, he turned to the Holy Spirit to lead and guide him every step of the way. There's no denying that the Holy Spirit was present and active in the life of Christ during his earthly ministry. Second, he was fervent in prayer. No matter how busy he was or how many demands he faced, he took time to pray. And over 45 uh, times in the gospel, it refers to Jesus slipping away from the crowds to pray. Third, he was obedient to God's kingdom agenda, meaning he was always and only obedient to God's desires. He lived in complete submission to the will of the Father. Fourth, he allowed scripture to take center stage in his life. He took the time to read it, to study it, to memorize it, to teach it. Scripture shaped the way he lived his life and it served as the lens through which he viewed the world. Fifth, he exalted God always, meaning he gave credit to God as the source of everything good that took place in his life, taking none of the glory for himself. And six, he was relationally intentional. You see, Jesus understood that life change happens through relationships. And it was this belief that led him to build relationships not only with those who were his disciples, who were his followers, but to, to those who, with those who did not yet even believe in him. In order for new believers to make progress on the disciple-making journey, they got to follow Jesus' example and develop the same foundational principles in their own life. And, and I wish we had more time to unpack these principles. But for those of you who would, who would like to take a deeper dive into these foundational principles and, and, and learn what that might mean for us to live those out, I'd encourage you to go through a devotional study called Walk Like Jesus. And for those of you in a life group, this would be a great study to do as a group. My own life group did it this past spring. And you can find the link at that webpage we've created, lifepoint.org slash discipling tools. The third need of those who are sitting in chair two is to learn to talk, meaning they need to be able to share uh, their story and tell God's story. Now, telling our story is also known as giving our testimony. And essentially, it's letting people know what your life was like before you became a follower of Jesus, how you came to be a follower of Jesus, and then your life after following Jesus, after making that decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And when it comes to telling God's story, there's a number of different ways to go about doing that, right? God's story, the message of the Bible. One simple way to do that is to break it down into four parts. Creation, fall, rescue, and restoration. 
Creation, fall, rescue, and restoration. I'll give you the condensed version. It goes something like this. Creation. God created the world and everything in it. And it was good, perfect, and exactly how God intended it to be. Fall. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. And as a result, sin entered the world, and we've been suffering the consequences of that ever since, including physical and spiritual death. Rescue. Thankfully, God sent Jesus to earth to die on the cross for our sins. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus for our salvation, we are rescued from hell, and our relationship with God is restored. We're no longer dead spiritually. We've been made alive. And restoration. The story doesn't end with rescue. God says that one day Jesus is going to come back and to judge the sin and the evil in the world, bring about peace and righteousness, and he will restore everything in creation to its original intent. See, in time, the hope that those who are sitting in chair two will be able to share how God's story intersects with their own story. The fourth need of those who are sitting in chair two is they need to learn to feed themselves, meaning they need to be able to open up God's word and learn truth for themselves. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, thankfully, there are many Bible study tools and resources that will help us to correctly handle the word of truth. And two resources that I would recommend for any follower of Jesus to own is a study Bible and a commentary. A study Bible and a commentary. And a commentary, for those of you who don't know, it's it's a book that helps to explain or interpret the passage that you're reading. And as you begin to study, one simple way to go about it is to simply ask three questions of any passage that you're reading. What does it say? What does it mean? And how does it apply to my life? Right? Observation. What does it say? What's going on here? Observation. What does it say? Interpretation. What does it mean? What is the original tent that God had in mind for those original recipients of this passage? What does it mean? And application. How does it apply to my life? What does it look like for me to live out this passage of Scripture? And by doing this, you'll begin to discover the truth of God's Word for yourself. Now, if you've been following or walking with Jesus for some time and growing in your faith, then part of your responsibility, part of my responsibility, is to build the believer to help those who are not as far along as you to establish a solid foundation in their faith. And here's the reality. You don't need to be a Bible professor. You don't need to be a pastor to play this role in the life of another follower. You just need to be a little further down the road and you need to be willing to serve. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And and I realize that is a significant statement to make. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. But if we shy away from making that statement, if we're unwilling to make that statement to those who are in chair two, who who are new to the faith, 
then, then who are we expecting them to follow when it comes to helping them to grow and build their faith? Who, who are we expecting for them to come alongside them to help them to, to develop this solid foundation? You see, Dan Spader writes, follow me is a challenge that we should be able to extend to others as we mature in Christ. This is our role and responsibility to those who are sitting in the second chair. And this is what's required of us if we're going to create a disciple-making movement. And so you have to ask yourself, who do you know that's sitting in the second chair? Who do you know that's, that's new to faith? And what can you do to meet the needs in their life in order to help them move toward a deeper level of maturity in their faith? At lifepoint.org slash discipling tools, we provided yet another downloadable resource simply called Your Circles. And there's some hard copies out in the lobby as well. And it's a simple doc in which you can simply write the names of those you know who are lost, sitting in chair one, who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, to write the names of those who are sitting in chair two, who are new to the faith. You can slap it on your fridge, put it on the dash of your car, and it's, and it's simply a reminder to be praying for those people and to engage them at the spiritual level they're at. And I realize some of you might be thinking, well, I don't know anybody who's new to faith. I don't know anybody who's recently become a follower of Jesus. And to that I would, would say two things, right? Two things. First is that that's all the more reason to get to work on those who are in chair one. Right? If you don't know anybody who's a new believer, then hopefully you have a few people in mind who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. And you can begin to invest in them and reach them with the gospel, help them to put their faith and trust in Jesus for their salvation so that they can then be sitting in chair two. And then secondly, I would say that the majority of Christians, whether they should be or not, are sitting in the second chair. And so there is plenty of work to do. Like I said, if you've been following Jesus for a while and growing in your faith, I am confident that you can play a key role in the spiritual development of some of your brothers and sisters in Christ at LifePoint. And if that's your desire, now you know the needs of those who are new to the faith. And if you have questions about, okay, how can I come alongside somebody or, or still help me figure out what does that look like, we as a pastoral staff would love to have that conversation with you to help you play that role of, of building the believers, helping someone else grow in their walk with the Lord. To those of you who are new believers and sitting in chair two, your faith is new and fresh, my encouragement to you would be to do all you can to establish a firm foundation, to be rooted and established in Christ. One primary way to go about doing that at LifePoint is to join a rooted group. Rooted is a small group. It's a type of small group that we offer here at LifePoint, and we're going to be offering it again this fall. And it's a great way for you to be rooted, brilliant, in their faith, right? And, and so if, if you haven't yet joined a group like that and gone through Rooted, I would encourage you to take that step this fall. And a moment ago, I, I said that chair two is where the majority of Christians are sitting, but unfortunately, that's not the result of the masses coming to know the Lord, right? 
It's not like we're seeing this massive wave and influx of, of people coming to know Jesus, and yet the majority of Christians are sitting in chair two. And, and the reason for that, unfortunately, is because Christians have camped out in chair two. We've gotten comfortable sitting in chair two. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12 says, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. You see, we all know that the passing of time doesn't guarantee growth and maturity. If it did, there would be no grown men living with their parents at the age of 30, right? I mean, if that just, hey, all you needed was the passing of time to grow and mature, like, hey, we're, we're all chilling. But that's not how it works. There are so many Christians who have been following Jesus, flying under the banner of, I'm a follower of Christ for years. And they're sitting in chair two, the same chair that those who sit, are sitting in with, with other new believers. They ought to be mature, but they're not. Their faith is at the infancy stages. And if that happens to describe you, it's time to be intentional about taking steps to, to develop a, a deeper level of maturity in your faith. God has so much more in store for you beyond chair two. He wants to do so much more in your life than sit in chair two because it's comfortable and, and you've gotten used to it and, and you know what it's like. There's so much more that can go on, but we have to be intentional about taking steps. God isn't going to drag us along. He's not going to drag us there. You have to take ownership of your faith. You have to take the necessary steps to develop a firm foundation so you can be the mature disciple that God intends for you to be. Like I said at the beginning, our desire is that we would create a disciple-making movement at LifePoint. And in order for that to happen, we have to reach the lost and build the believer. And so will you join us in this endeavor? And together with God's help, we can create a movement that matters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you see fit to use us in the lives of other people. Those who don't know you, those who are new to faith. You've given us a role, you've given us a responsibility to play. God, help us to take ownership of it. To help those, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to develop a firm foundation. God, help us to take ownership of our own faith. To be intentional about taking the steps so that we can become mature followers of Christ. So that we can move forward in the disciple-making process. To be used by you for however you see fit. God, we need your help. And we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.